0: Well, amen. God bless you. What a great truth that is. All right. Have your Bibles now. I want you to hold your Bible up real good for me. Got the Word of God, the sword of the Spirit. It's great Word of God. Now, if you've been reading it this week, keep holding it up. All right. I want you to work on your Bible. You have your Bible open with me, if you will, to 1 Samuel chapter number 13. 1 Samuel chapter number 13, verse number 19. When you find that, if you're physically able to do so, I would invite you to stand to your feet with me, please, out of respect of God's word. I'm gonna read through the end of the chapter, 1 Samuel chapter 13, verse 19. While you're standing, let me say this. Y'all pray for Krista Miller. Um, I let that slip my mind a minute ago. She also was in the hospital of pneumonia here. And so I want y'all to pray for Krista and remember her in prayer as well and pray for her that God will touch her body. 1 Samuel chapter 13, verse number 19. interesting text here. I'm gonna pull something out of this as a title and a thought here for this morning. And the Bible says this, Now there was no smith found throughout all the land of Israel. For the Philistines said, Lest the Hebrews make them swords or spears. But all the Israelites went down to the Philistines to sharpen every man his share, and his culture, and his axe, and his mattock. Yet they had a file for the mattocks and for the coulters and for the forks and for the axes and to sharpen the goads. So it came to pass in the day of battle that there was neither sword nor spear found in the hand of any of the people that were with Saul and Jonathan, but with Saul and with Jonathan his son was there found. And the garrison of Philistines went out of the passage of Mi'kmaq. I want to draw your attention to verse number 19, if I may, and let's read that verse together. you ready? Now there was no smith found throughout all the land of Israel, for the Philistines said, lest the Hebrews make them swords or spears. I want to draw your attention to that first little phrase in that verse that says, Now there was no smith found throughout all the land. I want to try to preach to you this morning with the help of the Lord on this subject. I ask a question, where are the smiths? Where are the smiths? I'm not talking about Calvin this morning, but where are the smiths? Let us pray. Father, we thank you today for allowing us to be able to come and have this time we could be together in my house. You've been so good to us today. And Lord, I pray that you will uh, be with us now as we go into this service. Lord, once again, I realize the great responsibility, the great privilege I have of being here. And as I stand here, I am very well aware, again, of my inability and my unworthiness. And so I would ask you once again, oh, I would plead with you, dear Jesus, cleanse me afresh and you with the blood of Calvary. And Holy Ghost, I pray you'd fill me with power that I can preach in such a manner that the folks sitting here today and listening in the sound of my voice would feel like this message is for them and them alone. And Lord, I pray you'd that souls can be saved, that discouraged be encouraged, the backslidden reclaimed, and Lord, most important above all things, may Jesus be glorified. For it's in His name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Carol, it sounds like I'm a little hot behind me. It's ringing in my ears. It may not be nobody else's, but it is mine. And so we need to take that down. I want to be heard, but I want to take that out of the back behind me here. All right, the, the, the Lord really began to deal my heart about this subject. This week in this passage of scripture, we're going to think about it and think about what is implied here. Now, let me give you a little background to what's happening here in uh, one Samuel when we come to this thirteenth chapter. If you went all the way back to uh, the book, Judges, now, you, now the book of Judges, you went all the way back there. You you would find that the Philistines have been had the children of Israel in bondage to 40 years up to this point. And they have overrun the the Israelites. They have uh, destroyed their land. They have uh, uh, just impoverished them unbelievably. Uh, Samson had been uh, delivered, began to deliver them, and now God has raised up Samuel and the deliverance is about to come. But it's been 40 years that they've been oppressed and pushed down by the Philistines. Now one of the things that the Philistines have done is found in this passage. In order to keep them down, they have taken away the smiths of the land. Now, now, now the smith is the one that uh, we might call it a blacksmith, but it's any kind of craftsman that makes things. It's able to take raw material and turn it into something, regardless of what that raw material is. Be able to take the ore out of the ground and get metal out of it and make something, whether it's bronze or steel, or be able to take something, some material and make something, it's smiths. And so they removed all the smiths out of the land. Now the reason they did that was for just exactly what's taking place here. So, that the children of Israel be completely dependent upon them. You noticed, as it says in our text, if they wanted anything really sharpened, they had to take it down to the smiths of the Philistines. Let, let their enemies provide the very things they need to keep sustenance on their plates. They, they couldn't even provide for themselves uh, unless their enemies actually gave them what they needed to live on. What a horrible existence that must have been! Not only could they not provide for themselves, they couldn't protect themselves. I, I mean, they, they they had no means of defense. They had heavy swords. They had heavy spears. If if you would read First Samuel, that's that's why Naash attacked the uh, Jabesh Gilead the way he did is because he knew there was they had no defense. And and, and so you find here. That By removing the Smiths, they have made the Israelites totally dependent upon them. Dependent for their very living. Dependent for whatever protection they might have. Made them where they had no protection against what they would do to them. Now that's an interesting thing. By the way, all through history, that has always been the, the goal of any kind of despot, any kind of, uh, of tyrant is to be able to take away the ability for folks to provide and protect them for themselves. So always what they want to do is take that away so you're dependent upon someone else. And so you find in this passage they took that away. They took it away from them. And by the way, God's going to give it back to them. And, and not only did they... Take that ability to take away the provision and protection. At the same time, it did something else to them. It took away anybody's able to create something. So it took away the, the people that were able to make things and imagine things and take things and, 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 and make things better. That, that was taken out of their society. Uh, they, they, they took away anybody that had any ambition. By the way, the Smiths always had ambition. Man, these folks got up early and stayed up late and they worked hard and they were able to see something. And can you imagine what it was is to see raw ore and to be able to think, I can take that and I can heat that and I can separate the impurities from that and I can take it and I can, I can make something out of that. Well, that's just some ambition. And so notice what they have done now. They have taken away from the children of Israel any way of producing for themselves and they have taken away any way to protect themselves, at the same time, they've taken away the ability and the ambition of the people. And if we'd read the first part of this text, we'd we'd find that the people of Israel are dismayed. They're distressed. They're disheartened. They're discouraged. What a sad truth. Now, the truth of the matter is, that's how Satan always wants to attack you. He wants to attack us that way individually. Boy, he'd sure like for us to get to where you have no ambition in life, where you just throw the towel in and quit and give up. He'd really like for you to have nobility or feel like you have no ability to provide for yourself or even protect yourself and take care of yourself. He'd really like for you to feel that way. Satan would really like to take away all of that out of you, just beat you down. By the way, he'd like to do it individually, he'd like to do it to families, he likes to do it to to cities and countries, and that's what he's trying to do. Now what Israel needed is they needed some smiths. They needed some people that had the ability to create Had the ambition to do so. It's what they needed. Exactly what they needed. I find that we find ourselves as a nation in a similar situation. I find ourselves as, and I begin thinking about this passage and how it led Israel, and it took 40 years. It didn't happen overnight. Uh, The the Philistines wasn't able to remove all of the smiths at first, it took a while. That's how come whenever that Samson was fighting with the Philistines that he had to use things like the jawbone of an ass. That's why he had to use an ox goad. He didn't have any swords. He didn't have any spears. You, you, You see, the Philistines had taken away all ability there. The truth of the matter is, I find that that's what's happening on a very subtle basis in our nation. I I find that we've taken away the smiths out of the land. I'll explain that. I remember when I was in high school, and uh, that was a few years ago, uh, 41 years ago I graduated high school. But even then, I remember that there was this concerted effort that if you worked with your hands, that there's probably something wrong with you. That if you're going to work in some sort of field where that you were a smith, that it was really the, it was a lowly position. And They try to encourage us to do something outside of that. By the time my kids got in high school, it's pushed very, very hard. And the idea is, is that no one needs to work? By the way, that's where we're at. Find some young person now that knows how to create something. Find some young smith that's in their twenties and their thirties. They all want to be over something. I thought of this as I was doing this. I thought I've been. I was born, and raised in this county. It was pretty self-sufficient. If we needed something built. We had builders that need that could take lumber and build. Now they're just managers. We had we had guys that had uh, shops here. You could take to them and take a piece of metal and make whatever you wanted to make. If you could draw it out, they could make it. All those guys have hair, either gray like mine, or no hair like Ted. We're in trouble. Not only do I find it just physically, find, see if you can find some plumbers and electricians if you have a problem in your house. Because it's looked down upon. There's something that's really beneath you. You have to work with your hands. Find somebody that can create something, has the ambition to get up early and stay up late take raw material and create something. And what we've done, we've removed the smiths. And now we're dependent on our enemies to ship it here from over the seas. Now we're dependent for it to come from somewhere else. We no longer supply for ourselves. We have to get that supply from somewhere else. Now I'm not doing anything Political, y'all may leave here and think that. It's just a basic truth. Anybody ignores that. It's got your head in the sand. What have we done? We've removed the Smiths. We've removed them. We've allowed ourselves to make fun of it, get rid of it, and we've removed it. You know what? We find ourselves, we find ourselves, we're no longer to provide for ourselves, we can no longer protect ourselves. And it's an amazing thing to me how many man. I was born and raised on this mountain right here, and, man, it's just a mentality. There was a pioneering spirit. I don't need nobody to take care of me. I take care of myself. I don't need nobody to feed me. I've got a great God who gives me a build. I feed myself. I don't need nobody to raise me in food. I raise myself. Don't need nobody build me a thing. I build. Y'all understand the principle. You old folks shaking your head. You understand exactly what I'm talking about. We've lost that. We've lost that. It's because we've taken away this idea of the that we need somebody that gets down, and I'm it's a dirty job. It's, it's a thankless job at times. It's a tiring job, it's a hard job. It's rewarding. It's not elevated. But we've lost that. And I got to thinking about not just have we lost it physically, we've lost it spiritually, and we've lost it emotionally. And so I'm going to give you three passages this morning, and I'm going to ask the question, where are the Smiths? Number one, physically. Let me show you something here, and I pretty well hit that point, so I'm not going to berate it a whole lot. But I want you to open your Bible with me. You're in 1 Samuel. Go to 2 Kings. Now if you're familiar with your Bible, you know that in 2 Kings you have the destruction of the children of Israel. They've been sold into bondage to Nebuchadnezzar because of their sin. But what I'm interested in is what Nebuchadnezzar did to Israel to keep them down for that 70 years. That they were in captivity and bondage. Now he's destroyed their cities. He's burnt the temple. He's destroyed the walls of Jerusalem. And it's going to lie in waste 70 years. And why'd that take place? I mean, it looks like in 70 years' time period that somebody that was left there had tried to rebuild it. It looks like that in the 70-year period that they're in captivity, it's somebody would have rebuilt something. But when Ezra and Nehemiah come back, it's just much rubbish. It's been there for 70 years. It's all grown up and overgrown, and nobody's trying to rebuild anything. Why? Well, you're in 2 Kings chapter 24, I trust by now. Look in verse number 15 and 16, and you have the answer given to you. And he carried away Jehoiachin to Babylon and the king's mother and the king's wives, and his officers, and the mighty of the land, those carried he into captivity from Jerusalem to Babylon. And all the men of might, even 7,000, and craftsmen, and smiths, a 1,000, all that were strong and apt for war, even them the king of Babylon brought captive to Babylon." You know what he did? He took away everything they had. Not only did they spoil their cities and take away their goods, he took away the people that was able to replenish it. And he took away the ones that had the ability to replenish it. So they had no provision and no protection. And by the way, if that happens to you and I, we find ourselves in trouble. When you bite into a philosophy that you need somebody to take care of you, you are now dependent on them. Whenever you come into the mentality that somebody must take care of me, I cannot do it for myself, then you have bit into something that is a diabolical plan of the devil to destroy your ability to live freely. Because when you are dependent upon somebody, they control you. There's great truth to that. So now the Babylonians have all of the craftsmen and all the smiths and all the ones that are able to do anything. And you know why Jerusalem laid waste 70 years? Now I realize from one spiritual standpoint, it's judgment of God. But you know why it laid waste? Because there was nobody there that knew how to rebuild it. Nobody there with the ambition and no one there with the ability... And when they came back, man, you ought to go home today and read the book of Nehemiah. When Nehemiah comes back, you find a man that is able to work and has ambition and ability, and in 52 days, he rebuilds the wall that's been down 70 years. It wasn't that it couldn't be done. It's that the people that had the ability and the ambition and the drive and the zeal were taken away. Do you understand that? Whenever you remove that from a family and you remove that from an individual and you remove that, you remove the smiths out of the land. And when you remove them out of the land, then it is in a downward digression that there's no way to come up until they're replaced. And so we see it physically, but I'm not so much concerned with it physically because that's not where it starts. It starts spiritually. We have removed the smiths out of our land spiritually. You say, what in the world do you mean by that? All right, you have your Bible with me to Ephesians chapter four. Now in Ephesians chapter four, we're gonna we're gonna get a text and I want you to see something. We are in trouble spiritually in our nation today. All of our problems are really have at the base of it a spiritual problem. You 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 can label it whatever else you want to label it, but it, it boils down to a spiritual problem because we're in a spiritual vacuum in our country. We've come to a point where, by the way, I study this stuff. It's what God called me to do what I'm doing. It is phenomenal and saddening to me, the number of churches that are shutting their doors across America. It, it, It never fails. Almost every week I get phone calls from somebody and they'll say to me, Hey, Mike, do you know somebody can come pastor our church? I got two of those phone calls last week from two men that I consider my mentors. They are my mentors. Both of them have more what I would call feelers out in society than I have. And they don't, they have churches that are dying because they don't have pastors and they don't have deacons and they don't have Sunday school teachers and they don't have choir members and they don't have singers and they don't have greeters and they don't have ushers and why did that happened? We removed the Smiths. We removed it. Now nobody forced us into it. It's not been done at gunpoint. It's not been done like North Korea's doing it. It's not been done like China done it. It's not been done like Russia done it back in the Cold War but it's been done just the same. How's it being done? We have voluntarily bid into the fact that we no longer need the Smiths. It's not important. Now you're in Ephesians 4 by now, I think. And I'm going to begin reading verse number 11. And I want you to notice a great principle about the need of Smiths. And I'm going to talk to you about what the Smiths are in our churches. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. Now, in verse number 11, I want you to notice, he says, Now God has given some people, and he lists these various areas. Now there were some apostles, there was a limited number of them. There are no more apostles today. There are some prophets, and there were some men of God. There's some evangelists, there's some pastors, there's teachers. Now God gave those things. By the way, all of those men. We're really good at looking back in history and glamorizing them, but they wasn't glamorized when they were living. I mean, if you think the apostles had a glamorous life, look at how all of them died. I mean, they all died in some cruel way. Uh, My, my, Philip was flayed alive. That's because they loved him. I'm being a little sarcastic there. The great apostle John was boiled in hot oil because they didn't like his message and God let him live and so they exiled in the Patmos and the Apostle Peter was crucified upside down and Paul had his head chopped off in a Roman prison. They were hunted and hounded. and We like to talk about the Apostles and glorify them, but boy, they wasn't glorified in their day, but boy, they were sure smiths. They had something that God was using them to... They had some ability and ambition, some faith, and they were and instilling that in others. You had some pastors and evangelists and some teachers. When I got saved, a lot of years ago, 46 years ago, when I got saved, there were some men of God. We had some preachers across America. And when I got saved, there there was a number of men of God. There was a fellow named Lee Robertson. There was a smith in Chattanooga, Tennessee. He did something marvelous there. There was a fellow named Tom Malone, old Dr. Malone, an Alabama boy that God took to Michigan and done some great work in Michigan. You say, what are you trying to say? There were some great men and women of God. I got to cut my teeth on that kind of preaching. Every once in a while, people say, well, how come you preach disappointed and you just believe the Bible? Because I was blessed to have some smiths that beat it into me and taught me the Word of God and heared in me a desire to see what God would do. But we're losing that. We're losing that. I had some teachers. My first pastor was a teacher. He could teach the Word of God with clarity. It's one of the reasons that I just always re- went back to that clarity. It was a teacher of the Word of God. It didn't, didn't take emotion. It just took teaching the Word of God and, and you get the truth of the Word of God. had some youth directors that were teachers and some teachers that taught the Word of God have y'all laugh at me? My verse by verse, sometimes I can't get out of a verse. Joel Richards taught me that. It took three years for me to teach through one book in our Sunday school class. And as a teenager, I learned that there was some teaching of the Word of God. Now, all that I'm saying is we've lost that. It's amazing how parents don't want their children to yield themselves to God. It's amazing how there's parents that you know, you really don't need to be in the ministry. That's a hard thing. Why don't you find a career? Why don't you find something that's... Uh, you know, it's a, it's a hard thing to pastor. People love you one minute and hate you the next. I mean, you, you, you don't do exactly what they want you to do, then that's not the way I encourage people to do. I, I want God to call young men to preach and be evangelists and be pastors and be missionaries, and young women to yield themselves to God. And If we don't do that, we don't have any smiths. Our churches are dying. You can blame it on the world. You can blame it on the education system. You can blame it wherever you want to blame it. But it comes back to us. We're not creating any smiths. Now, I've only read one verse here, and I had not forgot where I'm at. Go back to the text, verse 12. Well, let's go back to verse 11. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. Why? For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, to the edifying of the body of Christ. It is an impossibility for the church to grow unless we have smiths in it. It is an impossibility for it to do what God wants it to do, unless we have some pastors and evangelists and teachers. and Unless we have those things, it will not. That word perfect means maturing. Now read the next verse, verse 13. To we all come in the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, under the measure and stature of the fullness of Christ. Without those things, there's no spiritual maturity. Yet we've got all across this great land, we've got churches that are dying. I tell, I tell preachers all the time, they say, I, I'm getting a little older and I'm getting phone calls, all these phone calls, and I'm telling them you need to be praying that God, you need to train somebody in your church. You, you need to be praying that God will help you have more young people that will teach and sing. And by the way, the old people need to do it till they die. Man, I'm glad Dr. Robertson was still preaching when he was 90-something years old. He didn't quit. I'm glad I seen Tom Malone led to the pulpit and he had to walk up there at the walker and throw the cane down and preach with power because it showed me something. It's not a place to quit and throw the towel in. I'm glad that I seen Jack Howells preaching when he was so sick he couldn't even stand up because it's important. You see, some of y'all are losing some of what I'm saying right now. There never comes a point that I want to that that we don't need to understand that the reason we're in trouble is because we're not creating any smiths. We're not. We're just wanting somebody to provide for us and wanting somebody to protect us, but we're not doing it ourselves. We're We're not creating any maturity. I keep reading the text. Verse 14 that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. Do you, you, you know why there's so much spiritual deception going on in our country today? Because we do not have the smiths that we need to build the stability. That's what we've got to have. We've got to have some young men, some young women. By the way, some old men, some old women, some middle-aged folks that just yield themselves to the will of God. They'll say, I'm, I'm in this thing to serve God and I'm going to do what God wants me to do and I'm going to teach and preach and I'm going to serve the Lord. I'm going to be faithful at it. If we don't have that, what's the next generation learning? What's the next verse? But speaking the truth and love may grow up into him in all things which is ahead, even Christ. And it's all about Jesus. It's all about glorifying Him. Look at the next verse. From whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth according to the effectual working and the measure of every part maketh the increase of the body and the edifying of itself in love. That's the purpose of what it is. Where are the Smiths in our churches? Where are the young men that have been called to preach and the young girls that are... Giving their lives to God to teach and work and do the things of God. Where is it the ones that'll give themselves to sing and to come early and greet doors and do the things? And where's that? I joke about a little bit about singing. My goodness, if I could, if I wasn't preaching, I'd be singing. I say it every once in a while. Part of the reason God called me to preach is keep me out of the choir. Now I can't sing and I know it, but if I wasn't preaching, I'd be in the choir. You say, you can't carry a tune. The Bible says, make a joyful noise. Listen, mm-hmm. I, I wouldn't be sitting back just letting somebody else provide my joy and provide what I have. And do and, you grasp what I just said? The truth of the matter is we've, we've bit into this mentality that we don't need to dismiss. That we don't need to do it ourselves. That somebody else provides it for us. That somebody else protects us. But we need to dismiss. We need it physically, and that's easy to see. We need it spiritually. By the way, we need it emotionally. and I'm about done. One of the things that bothers me greatly in this generation we live in now, I'm old enough now, that I've watched the fear engulf our people. Now, open your Bible, if you will, to First Timothy, Second Timothy, Chapter One. In Second Timothy, Chapter One, I want to show you something that I think is is. A tremendous verse, but we've lost the Smiths with this verse. You see, we've, we've, we're losing the fish, the Smiths physically. We're losing them spiritually. But we're also losing it emotionally. And, and that has a spiritual basis behind it. And I want you to notice something in 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse number 7. Paul is his last inspired word giving Timothy this. And he says this, for God has not given us a spirit of... What does that say? Fear. For God not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. He says, God's not given us a spirit of fear. And yet, we are the most fearful society I think that ever lived in our nation. We are full of fear. Full of fear of everything. I've said some things this morning already. I guarantee you, some of you think, oh my goodness. The guy's an idiot. He's not respecting you. He's not afraid of this. And the truth of the matter is, God never gives anyone a spirit of fear. That spirit of fear comes from the devil himself. And we, you know, I I thought of this as I was working on this message. we're, We're afraid emotionally. As a child, I remember having some Smiths that instilled in me not to have fear. It started with my parents. You know, the, the best smiths in the world are parents. They ought to be teaching children how to provide and protect themselves. They ought to be teaching them how to yield themselves to God and serve God and put God first. And, and if God wants them to do something, just do it without fear and fa- failure. and Do it to all of your ability. And this thing of fear, I thank God for my parents. When I was a little kid, and I can't remember how old I don't know, three, four to my oldest, I had this fear of storms. By the way, our society promotes that today in a big way. It wants wants you to be scared to death that you're going to die because of some weather thing today. They really do. My, my wife was determined I had to have a new phone. First thing they asked, do you want weather alerts? No. I will see it when it gets here, not something you're trying. It says, me. Man, man. I'm off course just a little bit there. I have to digress. No, I don't want you trying to scare me on everything. It's not going to work anyhow, but no, I don't want that. And uh, But I was afraid of storms. I remember one day, my dad says he don't remember this, but I sure remember it. In a thunderstorm, and we were living on Pigeon Ridge Road, that old homestead house where my dad and mom lived. We moved from there, and I was in second grade. It had to be long before that. My dad picked me up, and he carried me out in the middle of that thunderstorm. It was thundering and lightning and raining, and he held me there. And he said, this will not hurt you. This is Smith. You know what he did? He took the fear away from me. I've laid and watched tornadoes go by. You say, you're an idiot. Nah, I say, I'm going to live in fear. You say, the truth of the matter is, we've created fear of everything. We don't have the dismiss to take it away. We don't have the dismiss to take away the fear, and we live in fear. Fear controls our very lives. We're afraid to eat what we like. Afraid we're going to die. I got news for you, you are going to die. Isn't that a great truth? I was thinking a minute ago, Charity was singing that song and 18 years ago, right now. I was in the hospital at UT. I was unconscious 21 days, I was there 31, so I'm not sure I was conscious or unconscious on this particular day, but I was there in the hospital. I was 41 years old and I'd had a lot of issues been field dressed. They put what they wanted me to have back in, left out what they wanted to take out. Anyhow, there's a great truth laying there. I never had been really concerned about a lot of things, and I thought, man, if I'd let fear control my life, and I'd have died now, I'd sure miss a lot of things in life by letting people control me with fear. Now I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to live till I die. But that didn't come from me. That came from the Smiths that were in my life. My parents instilled in me no fear. We tried to instill that in our three kids. Elizabeth and I did, and we wanted them not to be afraid of anything at any time, any place. Our girls as well as our son, we, we don't want them to be controlled by fear, but to have power and love, and of a sound mind. Now let me help you with something. I'm about done. I want you to go to John chapter 14 with me. You see, we need some smiths that will institute some spiritual truths, that will institute some spiritual truths and take fear out of our lives. If you're living in fear, you have no real peace because you're constantly afraid of what's going to happen to you. John chapter 14, verse number 27. Here's a great verse of Scripture. Peace I leave with you. My peace give I unto you, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. There's a great truth. Jesus is a smith here, and He's teaching me not to be afraid because He's got it under control. Now go to chapter 16, and verse 33. You may have to turn your Bible just a little bit. And Jesus is still talking about this same thought. He says this, These things have I spoken unto you that you might have peace in the world. You shall have tribulation. But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. He says, listen, I want you to have peace in the midst of your tribulation, in the midst of your trials, in the midst of your troubles. And we have got to build that in another generation. We have got to build and We've got to be Smiths. We've got to do it with our children and grandchildren and the generation we live. Do not live in fear. Man, we live in fear. We've taken away the Smiths, the men and women. Uh, as I was working on this message, I thought of my parents and grandparents and my aunts and uncles and men and women and the, the, the older folks in our church said no matter what happened there was never fear it was always just we're gonna face this problem head on and we're gonna we're not running from it and we're not living in fear. Now how'd they do that? Well number one they believe this. Number two, give you another verse. Go to Philippians chapter four. Now in Philippians excuse me. Yes yeah, Philippians chapter four, verse six and seven. Now how do we overcome the fear? We well, gotta have some Smiths that teach God is in control. There's no reason to be living in fear and trembling on day to day and full of anxiety and worry. Our society is so, so, so fearful and so anxious. No peace. Philippians chapter 4. We got to have some Smiths that teach this. Look, if you will, and why did it start back in verse 4? Rejoice in the Lord all in. Again, I say, rejoice! Man, you ought to be rejoicing. It's amazing to me how many Christians are downcast and discouraged and down in dumps, and distressed. And, and why, why does he say that? Verse 5, Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. He said, listen, you can rejoice. And, and people ought to know your moderation, your attitude, because there is a God and Jesus is in control. Look in verse 6 now. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your request be made known unto God, and the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Listen, we need some Smiths that teach us not to be careful for anything. That word careful means anxious, worried, full of anxiety. But anything that causes me trouble, I need to learn to take it to God in prayer and give it to God and let God have it and know He's going to keep my heart and mind. Now listen, I'm not just up here spouting something off I haven't tested. I've tested it. I've had it proven to me. I had some people teach me that no matter what happens, you can trust God and you can give it to God and it will be okay. it once, my cringe just a little bit to say it because I don't know how it sounds. But before I laid on the operating table and let them do what they did to me, I stood right. I came to this altar by myself and I said, "Okay, God, I've always trusted you, and I'm not going to worry about it." And I'm going to be anxious about it. They're telling me that when they operate on me, December the 22nd, and it goes in there that they're going to, I'm going to die on the table, but I am going to go and I am not. By the way, I told my wife the other day, we were talking about something, I, I said, you, you remember what I did when they told me I was going to die? And, and they, I knew I, they, they tried to talk me out of it. said I'd live a couple of years. The cancer wouldn't kill me immediately, but I'd live a couple of years and uh, that the surgery would kill me immediately. I said, you know, number one, I didn't have a bucket list. Now, I'm not against you. I've got a bucket list. Don't leave here and say I said that. I had already tried to yield, yield my life to God and do what God wanted me to. I didn't have a bucket list. I just wanted to live until I died. just wanted to serve God until the day I died. And one of the things I've learned is I had peace. Remember, Dr. Dudrick thought I was in denial. The truth of the matter is you can have peace about this. I'm not speaking outside my mouth. I, I know what I'm talking about. I know what it is to have some bad news and I know what it is to have bad news Tell me I was going to die. I knew what it is when everybody collapsed my lungs, my wife's lungs during surgery and she had a coat blue and still have peace. I know what it is to be in my office when my daughter comes in and tells me that our grandson's deformed and what they're wanting to do about it. There's peace. And a lot of y'all don't have peace. And the reason you don't have peace is because you're letting fear... I'm not talking on the side of my mouth. I'm talking... This is real. Part of our problem is we don't have any Smiths in the land. I'd had some people to teach me to take everything to God in prayer and leave it there, and let God have a hold of it and let God do it. By the way, in the midst of all of it, there was peace. We've lost the Smiths. They're no longer here. We've lost. Them. That's why we're having to depend on some foreign country to provide the goods that we have and the fuel that we have. We've lost the smiths. That's why that we don't have the spiritual power we used to have in our churches. We've lost the smiths. That's why we're so full of anxiety and fear. We've lost the smiths. Just to teach people, God hasn't given you the spirit of fear above love, power, and a sound mind. You don't need anybody to provide for you. You've got a great heavenly father. You don't need anybody to protect you. You've got a great God. And your dependence needs to be on him. And that's what a smith teaches more than anything else. It's I have a great God. And he's going to give me the ability to provide, protect me. Where are the smiths? Where are the smiths? Hey, older folks, have you quit smithing? There's some of you in here old enough to know what I'm talking about. Have you retired from smithing? You're just going to coast your life out to the rest of your life ends. Who's going to teach the younger folks what it means to be a smith? Who's going to show them that you just do it till God calls you home. Hey, young people, middle-aged folks, kids, you ought to yield your life to God and say, here am I. What do you want me to do? You know, the first thing that happens in being a smith, I don't care if God calls you to be a builder or iron worker or whatever the field may be. You ought to be involved in church. You ought to be... Working, and you can do both those things, by the way. God doesn't call everybody to preach. God didn't call me to preach. I got out of high school. Everybody thought I was going to preach in high school. Everybody but me. But the truth of the matter is, it starts with you yielding yourself and saying, here my Lord, what would you have me do? Every parent, every grandparent, you ought to challenge your young people to give themselves to God and let God do something with them. The truth of the matter is, we're the Smiths. We've let the devil take them away. And because the devil's taken them away, we're discouraged and disheartened. We don't think we can provide for ourselves. We don't think we can protect ourselves. But we've got a great God. Now if I'd have kept reading in 1 Samuel, Samuel created some smiths in the land. He built some men and women that would teach and train young people and they built a great generation and we've seen David come on the scene and seen all the mighty men. And where did they come from? There were some smiths that began to teach them. The spiritual truths, the emotional truths, and the physical just fell in place. Where are the smiths? Every head bowed and every eye closed.